You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Hey, we're doing a new sermon series. Flourish, we're calling it. Calling it Flourish. Uh, We are going to talk about three domains of life that you have to master if you want to have a flourishing life. And so if you have any questions, feel free to send them. That's here at all times. And hopefully it'll come through here and I can answer those if we have time to do that. But if not, that's okay too. But really the the premise behind this is that there's three big domains in life that you got to master, that you got to get a hold of, that you got to grab the reins of if you are going to flourish. Those three domains are, for us this week, um, this, this series, spiritual. You got to get your spiritual life in order. Got to get your relational life in order. For better or for worse, you got to deal with people. The extrovert of me is like, yeah. The rest of you are like, people, the worst. And then vocational. We got, you got to figure out your purpose. It's an important part of your life. You got to figure out how God has made you and what God has called you to and the gifts and, and, and abilities God has given you. And if you can master those three domains of life, I think you're going to be on the track for flourishing. This week, as I said, we're talking about spiritual domain of your life, the spiritual aspect of your life. You got to get this right. I got one passage today. We're not doing topical. We're not going all over the Bible. So if you got a Bible in front of you, would you grab it and get it out? If you need a page number, it's 928. If it's uh, if you don't need a page number, it's 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. It's at the end of your Bible. If you need to know, if you need a general reference, it's right there near the end. 928. We're going to read this. What you're going to see in here is Peter writing to the churches, and he's going to be encouraging them, and he's going to be challenging them. And then this thing in the middle is called a virtue chain. He's going to tell them the ways in which they need to grow and why they need to grow. And so that's where we are. Second Peter, in the beginning, uh, chapter 3, verse, uh, verse through 11, it says, we're talking about Jesus, by his divine power, The Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Through his honor and glory, he has given us his precious and wonderful promises that you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality and sinful, uh, the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith and to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, endurance, and to endurance, godliness, and to godliness, affection for others. That word is Philadelphia. You know Philadelphia, brotherly love. And to affection for others, love. If all these are yours and they are growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these things is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they were cleansed from their past sins. Two more verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to confirm your call and election. Do this and you will never, ever be lost. 
In this way, you will receive a rich welcome into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Bad news. We start with bad news here. Let's get the bad news out of the way. I think because if we can fully appreciate the bad news, we will better receive the good news of the gospel. And the bad news for us is this. If you're not growing in Jesus, you're either going backwards at, at worst and at best growing stagnant, not flourishing. And guess what happens when you get stagnant? Stagnant makes you comfortable, and comfortableness breeds forgetfulness. Comfortableness breeds forgetfulness. What does Peter say? You'll become inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who whoever lacks these things is short-sighted, blind, forgetful, forgetting that they were cleansed of their past sins. If you're not flourishing, if you're not moving forward in Christ, you can become comfortable and stagnant, and then you forget the work that God has done in you, the forgiveness he's offered you, the healing he's given you. Not flourishing breeds stagnation and comfortableness, and that gets us forgetful. You ever been driving the same route 2,000 times? At 15 minutes in, you're like, I don't remember the last 15 minutes. I could have ran through 25 houses. I have no idea what I was doing. For the that, I've done that. I had a professor one time try to tell me that that was actually better driving because you were like in a more aware state. And I was like, no, 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 no. Everyone's lives in danger. Get off the sidewalks. I'm going to end up there. Some studies have called this zombie driving. That's me sometimes. I'm like, what? Just getting into a song. I'm just worshiping. Too much, though, you know? You're like, ah, every moment I'm faith. And you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be hands on the wheel. Um, I, it's just like, we could do that with life, right? We could just get into the rut and routine. And rut and routines are good. I'm going to tell you at the end of this thing, you need to get some rhythms and routines. But there's a way in which life you can get in the rut and routine. You're not zombie driving. You're zombie living. You're stagnant, you're not moving forward, you're, flour- you're not flourishing, and you get forgetful. Stagnation makes us comfortable, and comfortable makes us forgetful. You don't grow really inside of comfort. It's good to be comfortable. You, we want that. We all crave that as human beings. We're constantly trying to get that. But it's discomfort that makes us grow. It's discomfort that makes us flourish. I, I'll let you know for me, when I'm feeling good is when I least feel my need for God. And then something happens and I'm praying and I'm like, oh man, I'm being, this is the most serious I've been about prayer for a long time because something didn't go well. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. And now I'm serious about prayer because I'm aware of my need. But when, I, when I'm not in need, when I, things are just going well, it's when I at least feel my need for God. And so that is where we are today. The bad news is like, where are you? How you feeling? Are you rutting it out? rhythming you out, or are you flourishing? Let's talk about what Peter says for a life of flourishing. As always, head, heart, hands, something for us to know with our heads, something for us to feel with our hearts as that information becomes transformation. It's something to do so that we can have a holistic faith that moves from our head to our heart to our hands out in the world. So I always ask these questions. What does God want us to know, feel, and do? What does God want us to know? And for me, reading this passage with this theme this week, it's this. You're going to flourish when you're following Jesus. You're going to flourish 
when you're following Jesus. And I want to get into Peter's use of the word knowledge. He uses it five times in this passage, if you count the verse right before we started reading. Five times. If I start counting other verses, he uses it a bunch. No, he uses it four times in what we read, five if you count the one before. He wants to talk about knowledge. Knowledge. Everything we need for a life of godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor. And what are we supposed to do in that virtue chain? Add to our faith moral excellence and add to moral excellence knowledge and to knowledge self-control. And if you don't do this, he says, you become unfruitful and inactive. You're not flourishing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible mean by no? And I know you've all been in seventh grade and you're like, biblically, no. In the Bible, no means something more. We know this. It does mean intimacy. It does mean knowing. It doesn't mean always mean physical intimacy, though it does that too. But it, it means something more than just information. It means something more than just a factoid, right? You're getting all this great stuff through the knowledge of Jesus, not the facts of Jesus, though you need to know those too. Knowledge is, isn't about information. It's about being more connected to Jesus, knowing who he is, knowing what he said, knowing how he lived, knowing the ways in which he's working in you right now. This is what we mean by knowledge. In fact, I listed a couple things that the Bible means by knowledge when it says knowledge besides that one that we all made jokes about with Adam and Eve knowing each other, right? What the Bible means by knowledge is that you didn't know anything before Jesus. Like you may have known some stuff, but now in Christ you know how the world works. You know how things work because now you know the creator of the world. Now you know the creator of the world, so now when you see through Jesus, now you know stuff. When you come to Christ, now you are able to have knowledge about how the world works and about how you work, right? And what you come to know is that you are broken and sinful and in need of a Savior. That's what some of the knowledge you get when you come to Christ. And then you know through following Jesus. He called his followers disciples. Disciple is about learning. We know this in all kinds of fields. If you're training somebody, you could call them a disciple or a mentee or whatever it is you're calling them. But Jesus called his, his followers disciples because you're learning to walk the ways of Jesus. Jesus' invitation was follow me. right? Not learn a bunch of factoids about me. Again, I want you to do that. <laughs> I'm not just... But at the end of the day, it's about following Jesus, walking in his footsteps. Because Jesus shows us how to become fully human. You weren't. You were marred by sin, broken creation. You were not fully human. The image of God in you was covered up and, and, and marred and maybe even broken a little bit. But when we follow Jesus as a disciple and learn and know the ways of Jesus, man, we become a whole and holy human being. This is what we learn. This is the knowledge that Peter's talking about. Not you get divine power from learning the factoids. You get divine pa power from trying to follow the teachings and examples of Jesus through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Do that. So if you don't know, if you don't grow in Jesus, you don't know Jesus. If you're not flourishing, maybe you don't know Jesus as well as you'd like. And I don't mean like you don't, I just mean like you're not following him. You're not walking with him. You don't know the ways he's working in his life. Knowing is important in Scripture. It means something more than factoids. These are my students at Chico State, some of them. 
First semester I had 53. This semester I have 85. That's too many. Did I get paid more? No. No more pay. But every, every semester I make them send me selfies because I want to get to know them. Yeah? Just as a side, I have to beg the men to send me. So like 90% of my class is women. And so I'm like, hey, please don't make me walk around with a bunch of pictures of 18-year-old women in my backpack. I'm like begging the guys, please send me some selfies. And so they did. Thank you. Thank you, Caden and Dylan and Kyle helping me out here because it's a little creepy when a man twice their age is like, look at all these, this binder full of women I have here. Um, but I do that because knowing them and knowing their name is so much more helpful. It helps me teach them better when I know them a little bit more. It helps them learn better when they feel known. And it's not just me memorizing their names. That takes me forever. But then I make them write me a paper in a couple weeks to talk about their socialization, how they, how they grew up, what their relationship like with their family, what their relationship like with all kinds of stuff. And man, at the end of those papers, I just feel so much more connected to them. And our class gets better and better, and our conversations get better and better because we begin to know one another. I share my life story at the beginning just to try to help them know me a little bit more because we are figuring this out together. Knowing, it helps. It helps them, it helps me, it helps the whole deal. Knowing, and it's not just the information of their names. It goes deeper than that. So what I want, I think what God wants us to know is that you can't flourish if you don't know Jesus. And you know Jesus by following Jesus, by walking in his steps, by living out his teaching, by being empowered by his Holy Spirit to help us flourish. What does God want us to feel in the midst of all this? This might not be an emotion, but I want you to feel it at the core of you. That you have everything you need to master your spiritual life. Already in you and around you. You have everything you need to master your spiritual domain. Peter told us. What did Peter say? By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then he goes on to say that we share or are participants in the divine nature. The heart point for me is an identity point. It speaks to the core of who you are. And what Peter tells you, at the core of who you are, you are participants of the divine nature. And by the power of the divine nature, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. You have it. And I say that because sometimes, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had better examples. Man, I wish I started this process earlier. Man, I wish I would have had someone to help me with spiritual practices because I, do, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And so sometimes that's an excuse for me to be like, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out someday, I guess, when I just get older. Like I think, like I think age is going to make me better, and it can, but it, you know, sometimes you get older and you don't get wiser. You, know? you just keep doing the same stuff. You're zombie driving. You have everything you already, already need inside Jesus and inside Jesus' people. You are sharers in the divine nature and have been given everything through the divine power for life and godliness. Can I just nerd out for you and talk to you a minute about the word everything? Because if I was a cheesy pastor, as I am sometimes, I'd be like, what does everything mean? And you guys would be like, everything. And then that's true. In English, 
We construct sentences to try to make it. We have our own way of making them make sense, but we emphasize things. So I'll say, you have been given everything, right? That's how we emphasize is I just, ah. In Greek, the way they emphasize stuff is they get to change the word order however they want. And they can put stuff wherever they want. And the further up it is in the sentence, the closer to the beginning, the more important it is. And so in that verse, the first word in that verse is everything. Panta. You know the word pan. Pan. We say pan all the time as a prefix to mean everything or all. The first word in there is panta. Everything to us, the divine power, dunames, dunameos. We get our word dynamite from that, power. The, it's not just any divine power. It's not just the gods have given us divine power. It's the divine power. It's a definite article of him, of who? Jesus Christ. For life, Zoane. If you know anybody named Zoe, they're named after the spiritual eternal life. It's in scripture. And Eusebian, godliness. Everything is the first word in that verse. You have everything. That's what Peter wants you to know. You have everything. Not in and of yourself, for Jesus' divine power at work within you. Everything you need for life and godliness, which probably is their way of saying godly life. But I'll say life and godliness because that's what the words are. Everything. Everything. It reminds me of this video clip. My apologies to you who don't like Star Wars, but this is my Star Wars video clip. It just reminded me of this, 30 seconds. Luke Skywalker talking to Ray in episode 9. Please don't be too loud. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. You'll take both sabers to Exegol. I can't get there. I don't have the Wayfinder. I destroyed Ren's ship. You have everything you need. That's it. That's all you get. I just feel like that's me. Like, I just have all these excuses. I don't. I can't. I wish. I think I wrote some. It's too hard. I'm not a self-disciplined person by nature. I struggle with that. I'll give you my whole self. I'm passionate, but that also comes with other things like eating and stuff. But I love everything. I just love everything, and I got to learn to control that. But it's just too hard sometimes, or I'm too busy, but there's just too much to be done. Or like I said, I'm doing things for the first time. I'm having to discover things for the first time, like reading scripture, like praying. I didn't have this model for me. I didn't have these things exampled for me. And so I use that as an excuse. But instead of a thousand generations living in you, Ray, me, it's the power of God, the divine power as sharers of the divine nature living in me that gives me everything I need. You and Jesus are enough. You're sufficient. You have what you need. What I hope you don't hear me saying is now go, you have to go figure it out by yourself. I'm here. That's what my job is. I love to do that kind of stuff. I'll walk with you through that whole journey. But I just want you to feel at the core of you as participants of the divine nature with divine power flowing through you that you have what you need and you and Jesus are enough. Yeah? Lastly, what does God want you to do? What do you got to do? What do you got to do? What do you got to do? Peter says, make every effort to develop regular rhythms of spiritual exercise or practices. If you don't like the word exercise, we'll say practices. 
we'll say spiritual rhythms. Whatever word you need to help you do it, you got to do it. You have to do it. You have to make every effort. What does Peter say? This is why you must make every effort. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence. The word there's arete. We usually say the word virtue. You have to add virtue to your faith. Now, can I just point something out quickly? And maybe I have some slides on this later. I can't remember. What do you have first? Faith. Add moral excellence to your faith. You start with faith. You start with, where do you end? Love. The goal is love. You're growing in love. Our culture's obsessed with love. We think we already have it, but they're saying, no, you got to build to it. You might have a little bit, but you're building it, and you got to build with those building blocks. But you start with faith. You start with faith. Everything starts with faith because this is all a work of grace. This is all the power of the Holy Spirit. But inside the power of the Holy Spirit, you also must make every effort. You also must make every effort. You have to take control of your spiritual life. If you don't, You'll become unfruitful, he says, stagnant. Is that what he said back here? Yeah. If, if all these things are growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming not flourishing, inactive and unfruitful. But if you do have them, you will never, ever be lost. And you'll be received into the kingdom, huh? Oh, I do have this. It begins in, with faith and it ends with love. We can make every effort without it being works-based. Hear me, I'm not telling you this is a works-based situation. We're starting with faith and the grace of God, and it's all by the power, the divine power, right? This, is, we're not, this isn't you trying your hardest. This is us leaning into the grace of God and, and, and letting it empower us so that we too can take control of our spiritual lives. Paul tells us this, 1 Timothy 4. He says, physical training is really helpful. The word, Greek word there is hymnasia, gymnasium. I love it. Physical training is really helpful, but spiritual training is helpful in all things. All things. Training in godliness is helpful for everything. Right? He says he beats his body. He says he runs like a, like a fighter. He runs like a, like a racer. He's, he's, he's making effort inside the grace of God. One of my favorite thinkers is Dallas Willard. He was a brilliant Christian. He was also a philosopher down in Southern California. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. Make every effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins and love. Peter says, make every effort. We're not earning our salvation by trying to do spiritual rhythms and practices that help us keep us in the presence of God. And so that's what you have to do. You have to develop a spiritual rhythm to keep your eyes open to God's presence. Because I believe God is always present, but we aren't. We're zombie driving sometimes. The spiritual practices help us keep our eyes open to God's presence and work in our own life. One more video clip. This is from Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. This guy is writing an article on Mr. Rogers as a hero. And this is Mr. Rogers' wife. And the question is, what's it like being married to a saint? That's what he asks, sir. Uh, here is this video. I think it's about a minute. Here we go. We stole Bill from the governor's office 14 years ago. Have you got a chance to know him yet? Love Bill. Big fan. 
He is very protective of Raj. You call him Raj? We don't call him Mr. Rogers at home, dear. Joanne Rogers. Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> you as well, dear. So, how does it feel to be married to a living saint? You know, I'm not fond of that term. If you think of him as a saint, then his way of being is unattainable. You know, he works at it all the time. It's a practice. <laughs> He's not a perfect person. He has a temper. He chooses how he responds to that anger. That must take a lot of effort. No. no he, he does things every day that help to ground him. He reads scripture, swims laps, prays for people by name, writes letters, hundreds of them. He's been doing that since I met him. It must take a lot of effort. He's got spiritual practices. Scripture, right? He gets into his body. You got to move your body. That's the fourth domain, by the way, that we didn't have time to get too convenient for, for me. Physical. Uh, praise. Praise. Right? She says it takes these spiritual practice, and, and this is attainable. His kindness and the love that exudes. This is something that she says anyone can do, but it takes effort. It takes practice. And I'm going to suggest that that's the same for you. Peter tells us to make every effort. It starts with faith. It starts with the work of God. And God's going to work through us with self-control and knowledge and, and virtue and, and to get us to a place of, of full love, full affection for others. But I think it has to do with some of these spiritual practices, these rhythms, these exercises. Uh, around you, I, I gave you my, my perfect list for myself. These are the things that I would do if I was starting. These are the things I do do. Take it home if you want it or not. You don't have to. There's no pressure here. But if you would like some help or some explanation, this is the beginning of it. I also do seven weeks on discipleship with just this. I'm meeting with someone right now who's like, let's work through what are some seven most important spiritual practices. I would meet with any one of you anytime. I love doing exactly that. Obviously, number one, scripture. You got to get some kindling in your head. You got to let the Holy Spirit have something to work with to turn into fire. You got to get the information. You got to get God's story, God's way of seeing the world in your head because our world is so loud. And so I'm saying at least a chapter a day, it's five minutes. And if you stayed with the New Testament, I said the New Testament takes some maturity. It's super important, very helpful, but a lot of people get bogged down there. A lot of people get lost. Again, if you want to be there, I'll help you as much as you want help. But if you just read the New Testament, all the way through, read the Gospels a second time at the end, and if you read Mark one more time, that's 365 chapters. One a day, five minutes. Um, and then prayer, you have to pray. An unpraying Christian is a dying Christian because this is air for our spiritual lives. Prayer, though, is hard. I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm convicted. I'm not a good prayer. I struggle with it. It is a challenge for me. But I gave you three ways to pray. One way, take a sentence out of your scripture reading and pray it all day. For God so loved the world. Just praying that all day just to kind of keep me prayed, prayed up. Or, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief if you're reading Mark 9 that day, right? Something to just kind of pray through. I send out a daily scripture text. Sign up for it. I use my breath prayer out of that because I'm reading scripture every morning and I send you a scripture that stood out to me. Just one verse. 
uh, Lord's Prayer. Christians have been praying the Lord's Prayer daily, regularly. And then there's a thing called the hours, and that's if you want to get super advanced. But Jews and Christians considered these hours holy. It was 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m. And if you're a night owl like me, then you got to do midnight too. But they would just pause and pray. You always see stuff happening in the Bible on the ninth hour, the sixth hour. But there were ways to pray. Set a phone alarm. You have to have solitude. You have to have silence. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like me. That sounds like death. I hate it. But you have to. And a great place to do it every single day is in bedtime. Because at some point, you just turn it all off and you leave me alone, hopefully. Hopefully. Sometimes my seven-year-old comes in. It's all elbows and ankles in there. But and, and, and there's this spiritual practice called the Ignatian Examine where you just go through your day and you invite Jesus into it. I put the steps there. And you confess when you need to confess. And, and maybe you need to apologize to someone when you apologize. But you invite Jesus to help you examine your day. And you, and you just, it's a time of confession and prayer. And then you pray for tomorrow to be in God's will and in accordance with his goals. And then weekly practices. Christians have always fasted two days a week. I put it on there. I try to fast Wednesdays and Fridays. Those are the days Christians have always fasted. You've got to get worship. Worship recenters your whole life. It reminds you that you are not God and that there is a God who is worthy of worship. It just recenters your whole deal. And then giving to the poor. For the Jews, there were three practices that you did. Pray, fast, and give to the poor. They didn't all have Bibles at home. And so what Jesus teaches on spiritual practices in Matthew chapter 6, he preaches on praying, fasting, and giving to the poor. Generosity is a super important practice. And when I say give to the poor, I mean to the poor. Jesus tells us to give it to the poor. So I'm not telling you to give it to the church. Don't give it to the poor. That's a spiritual practice that was really important. I pray that you would do those as a weekly rhythm. But if you have any questions about that, send them to me. Uh, again, this is some of my favorite stuff. But let me wrap up. If, let me check to see if there's any questions, and then we will be on our way. Seeing none, here's my conclusion for us. To flourish, we have to get our spiritual life in order. Flourishing begins with following Jesus. Even that virtue chain begins with faith. All of it begins with following Jesus, literally. And in Jesus, you have everything you need. That's what I want you to feel. That's what I want you to know about who you are. And lastly, you have to develop regular rhythms of spiritual practice. If you don't get those regular rhythms in, it's hard to flourish. It's hard to flourish. It's hard to flourish. Amen? Let's pray and move into a time of communion. Father, thank you. Thank you that we could gather and receive this word from Peter, from you, ultimately, your Holy Spirit. Would it convict us and challenge us to draw closer to you, to make sure that we are pressing forward so that we're not falling behind and we're not growing stagnant, but that your Holy Spirit is empowering us, that divine power is within us. Help us to feel that. And maybe we would feel that even right now as we come to the table, the cup and the bread, where you promise to meet us, to impart your grace to us, which is your presence and your power in our life, would we experience that here, now, just a little bit? Would it be spiritual nourishment for that journey? Ultimately. And we will give you praise and thanks for the work that you're going to do. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, by saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the glory.